hi everyone, I'm Emma and I'll be reading the Bible for us tonight. Um, it's Mark 6, verses 30 to 44. I'll give you a second to find that. Okay. Um, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Um, and I'm going to be handing over to Nathan now. Hello, by the way, if I haven't met you, I'm Nathan. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get stuck into this interesting passage. Let's pray. Father God, despite all of the, um, the awful things that are happening in our world right now, it seems, you are still a giver of good things. May we taste your goodness as we feed on this word that you've given us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been having a bit of a debate with myself these last few weeks. I wonder where you might fall on the question of what do you think Jesus' most mundane miracle was? You ever thought about that question before? Maybe not. By mundane, of course, I mean kind of plain, ordinary, um, least impressive miracle. What do you reckon it would be? I mean, I know by definition that uh, a miracle is anything but mundane. That's actually one of the things that makes something a miracle. But, but surely there's some kind of order to this thing, right? Like a scale of impressiveness or something. I don't know. And before you try and tell me that all miracles are equally impressive, I just want to direct your attention to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you ever read that before. The prophet Elisha literally actually makes an axe head float in the water because someone's accidentally dropped it in there and they can't find it in the Jordan River. <laughs> I love that. Oh no, my Lord, he cries, it was borrowed. <laughs> that's, that's in the Bible. That's awesome. It's my favorite bit. Uh, but this miracle, that miracle is like the equivalent of like, Mom, I can't find my socks. <laughs> but, you know, mums do seem to have that kind of miraculous power, don't they? When it comes to miracles, there really totally is an impressiveness scale, I reckon. And so I've been wondering this week whether this feeding miracle from Mark chapter 6 might be one of them, you know? Certainly it's got to be in the running at least, up there with the time that Jesus curses a fig tree and it dies, you know? Kind of like, ah, oh. because you see, this is really kind of ordinary every day in, at one level, what we see going on here. Like it could be titled, Jesus shouts dinner, you know? Like it's slightly less grand than some of the other miracles that he does. And, 
you know, with us, we can't walk on water. That's what he's about to do in the very next, the very next passage. We can't, um, you know, tell a, a storm to settle down and have it actually listen to us like he did back in chapter 4 or like back in chapter 4 where he literally just takes a dead girl's hand and she rises to life. Like, that's amazing. But you know what? If, if you had the time and the coin, you could totally have a go at trying to feed 5,000 people, right? Like you could. It would, it would be tricky, but you could give it a go. And I mean, it's not often that you can look at Jesus' miracles and go, oh, you know what? I could, I could try that. I reckon Peter Hicks, supper after night church, you've got a lot of practice. You'd be the best place to do it, I reckon. But it's interesting, isn't it? Really interesting miracle. For those of us today uh, who are here for the first time, it is great to have you here. I'm glad you're joining us. Um, we love visitors at Night Church. I hope you've felt that the whole time that you've been a part of tonight's service. But we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And we've been doing that for the whole term. And the Gospel of Mark was written... Uh, really, to give us a snapshot of Jesus' ministry, but even more than just to kind of tell us things about what he did, really, the point of Mark's gospel is to impress upon us the importance of who he is and what, what can happen in your life if you actually get that. Hope you've got your Bibles in front of you. We are in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30, where you'll see once again that we're confronted with Jesus' popularity. It's a bit of a running theme in the gospel at this point. The guy's become like a local celebrity. People are flocking from all over the place. Who knows how they found out this stuff back then? You know, they didn't have WhatsApp or TikTok or whatever. But for some reason, they know and they flock to him. They want to be taught by him. They want to be healed by him. And so here they are that day, just kind of swarming Jesus and the disciples. And it's a bit overwhelming told the disciples were exhausted and they were hungry. They'd just gotten back from a mission trip. So Jesus' intention is to kind of whisk them away to an Airbnb for a bit of an R&R. They set sail for a solitary place out in the middle of nowhere so that they can rest. Fairly quickly, however, that plan kind of falls apart. The crowd they find out somehow where it is that Jesus and the disciples are heading and actually manage to make it to the destination before even Jesus and the disciples have. It's kind of like the ancient equivalent of like the paparazzi. Like it's crazy. And you can imagine, you can imagine the, them just kind of lining the shore at this spot as, as they're waiting for Jesus and the disciples to arrive by boat. And then you can also kind of imagine the poor disciples as they kind of come around the corner and see all these people waiting for them. And it's like... Are you serious? More people. But that's the setup, right? That's the situation. And it, and it really leads to the central conflict that's driving this passage, and that's the fact that there's now thousands of people out in the middle of nowhere, complete, complete remote, and there's nothing to eat. Now, I'm sure I said this last time I spoke on the Gospel of Mark, but... Mark is, a real, is the shortest of the Gospels, like it's really quick, uh, and he, he's a brief kind of guy, in other words. He's not a heavy details man, right? Not like Luke with Luke's Gospel, the doctor, right, who takes care of everything. Mark kind of just likes to speed through it. So it means that when you find details in Mark's Gospel, you really got to pay attention because they're in there for you to really notice. So it's interesting for such a mundane miracle, right? Jesus shouts dinner. It's interesting that Mark doesn't want you to just skip past it and go, oh, that was nice. 
And the reason you know that is because there's heaps of details in this story and it makes you stop and go, what's going on here? Like, there must be more to it than it perhaps first appears. Now, I've kind of grouped the details together into three sections, which kind of tracks how the miracle plays out through the passage. So first, we've got the sitting down. Then we've got the giving thanks. And then finally, the cleaning up. The sitting down, the giving thanks, the cleaning up. They're all fairly straightforward, ordinary kind of details, and yet I think they end up making this miracle anything but mundane. So firstly, the sitting down. Jesus has been teaching the crowd. Again, as it gets later in the day, the disciples, you know, they see the sun setting, and it dawns on them that we've got a problem on our hands. You see it there in verses 35 and 36. They're like, mate, they come to Jesus, they're like, mate, there's no food to be found anywhere around here. We can't provide for these people. We're actually going to have to send them off to find their own dinner. Basically, they're saying, look, this isn't our problem. This isn't our problem. And I mean, we've, we've all been there before, haven't we? You're tired for some reason, you're hungry, you haven't eaten in a while, maybe you've just had a really long day, and you get home and it's like, oh, good, I'm just going to... Just be able to rest. <laughs> and then you get that buzz in your pocket and you pull it out and you see who it's from and it's like, oh man, this is not my problem. And you don't want to answer it. You know, you've been in that situation before, right? Well, you can sympathize with the disciples, right, who are here just wanting their R&R, right? The whole reason why they came, they just want to get rid of the people so they can get on with it. And it makes sense. And yet the contrast between the disciples' response, which you can understand, right, and what Jesus goes to do... It couldn't be more different, those two responses. See, the disciples are like, it's not our problem. Jesus is like, boys, we're going to make it our problem. We're going to make it our problem. And the disciples must have been thinking Jesus had kind of missed something, like that he was maybe losing his mind. Like, Jesus, how do you intend for us to feed so many people when all we've got with us is like a two-piece feed from KFC? Like, it's not going to go very far. It's like barely enough to even feed the 13 of us. Like, some of us are going hungry tonight. How are we going to use this, you know, five loaves and two fish to feed a hungry horde of thousands? Like, it's just not going to happen. Then we get a few curious details. Look closely with me. Notice uh, verse 39 and 40. Some interesting details in there. It says, Then Jesus directed them to have... The people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Bit weird, right? Hundreds and fifties, okay? And he mentions that the grass is green. That's also pretty weird. What's going on there? Well, by including these details, Mark is actually casting Jesus as the long-awaited shepherd of Israel who had been sent by God to tend to his sheep. That's kind of what's going on, right? So the group's 150s. Uh, it's a reference to something that Moses had done thousands of years before. And of course, Moses, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, was the first and greatest shepherd of Israel. And he leads God's people, the sheep, out of captivity in Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. Uh, and that was actually also the trip where God literally makes it rain bread from heaven. It's called manna. It was remarkable, miraculous. It actually has parallels with what's going on in tonight's passage as well. 
And there's also a moment in the desert where Moses is kind of shepherding the people, where he decides to organize the nation by appointing leaders over different sized groups, right? Over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Very reminiscent of what Jesus does in organizing groups to feed them in chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel. So really, Jesus is being kind of cast as a, as a Moses-like figure, the greatest shepherd that Israel had ever seen. And then you come to the green grass, it's like, that's odd. But that's actually got shepherding undertones as well. If you've ever heard of a psalm from the Bible, there's a fair chance you've heard of Psalm 23, right? Most famous psalm in the Bible. And it was written by David, who was Israel's greatest ever king. And in Psalm 23, he actually refers to God as his shepherd. That They're the first words of the psalm, aren't they? The Lord is my shepherd. And then at one point he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's like a, an evocative image, isn't it? Sheep lying on green pastures. And I, I think that's, that's really what Mark's tapping into. He's trying to paint a similar picture of Jesus as the shepherd with all the sheep sitting down for rest. At the time, there was massive Jewish expectation that, that one who was greater than Moses and who was from the line of David would come and save God's people. They called him the Messiah. If you want to nail this point home one last time, perhaps the most profound point of them all, you can find in verse 34. Before there's even a problem with food, Mark tells us that uh, Jesus, when he landed, saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. That's a direct pull from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Our good friend Ezekiel from last year, you might remember him. He was, he was ministering at about the, the, the lowest point in Israel's history. Like it was, it was a complete write-off. And at one point towards the end of the book in chapter 34, and we actually preached a whole sermon on this. I'm sure you can remember it. And it, and it, and it laid out the vision of God coming to be Israel's shepherd himself because they didn't have a shepherd of their own, because Israel's leaders had, had gone so astray. So he says this in chapter 34. This is God speaking. Because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. So you see, this, this mundane miracle is actually peppered with profound messianic details. This isn't just Jesus being a nice guy, right, putting on a feed for some hungry people. This is him announcing himself as, as none other than Israel's long-awaited shepherd king, the one who was promised to come and attend, to tend to and to guide and to feed God's people and to even eventually give up his own life, shed his own blood and offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the nation, for the sins of the world. If you don't yet know the shepherd king, you really need to. And if you do know him, but you haven't been following him recently, you need to start doing that again. I mean, because we heard last week, if you were with us, or if you caught it up during the week, we looked at the, the kind of rigorous food laws 
that Judaism was kind of holding on to at this point, the clean and the unclean, you might remember, only the proper food can be eaten that had been properly prepared by the properly clean, right? It was very rigorous and strict. It's very interesting that here, Jesus isn't mucking around with any of that, right? There's no ritual cleaning going on as far as we can tell. There's no kind of hierarchy. Some are more important than others. Some get more than them. Like, you know, whether they're clean or unclean, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're saint or sinner, the food that Jesus is serving is for anyone and everyone that's willing to accept it. That goes for us as well. I wonder, do you ever say grace before you eat? It's great. At 5 p.m. we actually had hands going up. It was interactive. I was like, I love you guys. I wasn't really asking them to put their hands up, but I loved it. In our house, we always pray before we have dinner, or almost always, and we take it in turns, including our three boys, lots of fun. One of our boys prays with a kind of laser precision. He kind of says the same, the exact same thing, the exact same way every single time. It's like, but then when one of our other boys prays, it's like you never know what you're going to get. Variety hour. But he's always going to give you a, like a comprehensive recap on the day. It's great. I love it. I love them both. But saying grace is, is a fairly mundane sort of thing, isn't it? And it is at least for us, as in like we do it every day. It's kind of regular, pretty ordinary. How interesting then is it that, that Mark makes the point of actually including it as one of the details for this story. Jesus gives thanks before he breaks bread and does the miracle. It's like a thing Jesus does right before the miracle. It's very interesting. And we're not told by Mark what he prayed, but there's a fairly good chance that he might have been praying the Chomotzi. You see, the Chomotzi was taken from Psalm 104, and it was a special blessing that Jews would pray before, particularly before they broke bread. And they still do, some still do to this day. And it goes like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. It's great, isn't it? And, and what, I, what I really like about the prayer is the way that it acknowledges God's ongoing role in providing for and sustaining the world. I mean, just think about a nice, warm loaf, golden, crispy loaf of bread. I said that at 10 this morning and you could smell it from across the road. <laughs> and I was like, oh. There's a lot of steps involved in getting to that point, right? Getting bread to a loaf. You've got a, you know, planting the seeds, it involves harvesting the grain, uh, grinding it into flour, forming it into dough, uh, baking it into bread, and then taking a photo of it to put on Instagram, right? There's a lot of steps involved, and it doesn't happen without our involvement, right? You've got to, you've got to plant, harvest, grind, form, and bake. And yet, as the prayer says, right, without God, it also doesn't happen. Without God, it also doesn't happen. And that's actually the testimony throughout the Bible. God doesn't just set the world in motion at the very start, you know, let there be light, and then he just sits back and just watches it. The Bible tells us God actually is responsible for keeping it going. He doesn't just start it, he continues it. So in, in Psalm 104, for instance, which the prayer is based off, it says, He, as in God, He makes the grass grow for the cattle. 
and, he, and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth bread from the earth. Well, you've got that, that classic kind of Christological hymn in, in Colossians chapter 1. It talks about Jesus and it says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. That's present tense. That means that our food is not only the result of the work of our hands, it's also the result of God's generous provision, Him sustaining the world. And so the beauty of saying grace for something as mundane as our daily bread is to actually confess the exact opposite. It, as we give thanks, what we're doing is we're declaring that the food we're about to eat in some way is actually, it's not just mundane, it's actually miraculous. It's miraculous. And each bite testifies to God's grace in sustaining our world, in the fact that we're here and alive. A theologian by the name of Norman Wurzba wrote a book called Food and Faith, A Theology of Eating. Doesn't that sound fascinating? I want to read it. But here is how he describes it. He says, to say grace before a meal is among the highest and most honest expressions of our humanity. Here around the table and before witnesses, we testify to the experience of life as a precious gift to be received and given again. We acknowledge that we do not and we cannot live alone, but are the beneficiaries of the kindness and mysteries of grace upon grace. I love that. (laughs) See, saying grace isn't mundane at all. And of course, giving thanks for our food is really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because food's just one example, just one example of the way that all of life is really dependent on God's common grace. I was actually struck by this point uh, last week when I was stuck in isolation. Um, I was actually supposed to be doing, we were supposed to be preaching this passage last Sunday, had to switch. Uh, But while we were stuck in isolation, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get our eldest son to learn how to mow. I'm like, you know, do something productive with time and ISO, I say. And so I got him out there. The poor kid was still recovering from COVID. My mum was not happy. And I said to him, we, we, we got him out there, and it, it looked like this. There's a before and after shot. He did a pretty good job, right, which was pretty stupid on his part because it's like, now I'm going to get him out there to do it every week. <laughs> He'll learn. But that top picture, you know, it looks like I haven't mowed in months. But it's actually only been a few weeks because, you know, the amount of rain that we had, I guess that's the effect that it has. But at the end, you know, we were sitting on the back deck, the hedges had been trimmed, the lawn had been mowed, you were kind of enjoying the smell of fresh cut grass as you do. And it just, I was like looking at all the leaf litter and just going, man, life just happens. All this stuff just grew in the two weeks, you know, since the rain was coming. And it, we didn't have anything to do with me, it just happened. We can't make it rain. We certainly can't make it stop raining. The sun just shines, doesn't it? No one turns it on. And it goes for our bodies as well. Like, we don't have to tell our heart that it needs to beat. It just beats. We don't have to tell our nails to stop growing. They just grow. Or our skin to repair itself. It just does. Like, it just happens. Life happens. And and it's not our doing. It's it's our God's doing, and it's the way that he's made this world. 
And we're surrounded by his ongoing, sustaining grace, right? The life that surrounds us. And yet most of us, myself included, we go through the day, we go through the week, we go through the month, surrounded by this grace, and yet so often oblivious to it. We don't even notice it. We take it for granted, don't we? As if the miraculous has become the mundane. Well, how do we avoid taking life for granted? That's a great question. You need to find the answer to One of the answers is the antidote is thankfulness, right? Being thankful. That's one of the ways. And if you're not in the habit of making thankfulness a part of your prayer life, then you really need to get onto that. That's what I love about the fact that Mark mentions Jesus praying before they eat, right? And if you're not in the habit of doing that, of saying grace before you eat, that's a great thing to work into your daily habits, a great thing. In our, uh, this week in our growth group, we were talking about family traditions and going around the kind of circle talking about what people you know, did as a family. And uh, one person in our group didn't realise we were talking about this tonight, actually, and she shared that her family has a spoon, and on the spoon is written the word gratitude. And they have to pass around the spoon every time they sit down to share a meal together. They pass around the spoon and they share what they're thankful for. Isn't that a great idea? We're actually going to get a chance to do that tonight. I don't have a spoon to pass around, but before this sermon's over, we're actually going to have a chance to share with each other what it is we're thankful for. Uh, But what could you try doing this week that you don't already do that might actually help you to cultivate a heart of thankfulness? Maybe you could just take half an hour tomorrow as you read the Word just to list out whole bunch of things that you're thankful for and then every day this week come back to that list and remind yourself and maybe add to it as you think of more things keep a thankfulness list through the week so what has this mundane miracle turned up so far well the sitting down i think has has really revealed that jesus is none other than the shepherd king who's been sent by god to seek and to save his lost sheep It's really a reminder of what God has given in sending us his son. And then the giving thanks, I think, is a reminder of what God is giving. In the present tense, his ongoing grace, his sustaining our world. So, of course, it leaves us with the cleaning up and really to what God will give to the coming kingdom. And we get a glimpse of it here, I think, in the details of the food that's left over. I've always loved that detail the most, I think, coming to this passage and just found it really interesting, actually. I think also perhaps because I'm a bit of a leftovers kind of guy. I enjoy eating leftovers for breakfast, actually, which my wife tells me is kind of weird. But I think she's the weird one for not joining me. (laughs) But I also think what's weird is that this miracle ends with so much food. And like you might have heard this story so many times that you kind of go, oh yeah, of course. But no, not of course. <laughs> like it's strange. It's, take a look at verse 43. We're told that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. That's a lot of food. And given that there were only 12 of them doing the collecting, you know, it's, it's safe to assume they probably missed some. And there was far more than just 12 baskets that were sitting there left over. And it's weird because... Here's a guy who's got, you know, the power to miraculously feed 5,000 people and he somehow doesn't know how many people he has to feed or how much they're going to eat. Like, 
that's weird, isn't it? Did, did, did they get the head count wrong? Did, did they forget to carry the one? Like, what happened with, the, what happened with this? <laughs> that, that there's so much left over? Well, it's not a mistake. Again, Mark is including this detail for a reason. And I think the, the mountains of leftovers are like an exclamation mark for the verse that, that comes just before it. So verse 42. It's the, verse 42 is really the heart of this passage, I reckon. It's small, but it packs a punch. It says this, They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. That's the heart of this miracle. They all ate and were satisfied. It's interesting. How could they possibly know that 5,000 people had just stuffed themselves full? The leftovers are the proof, right? The leftovers actually, that, that's, that's how you can tell that all ate and were satisfied. There was so much food left over, right? There was more than enough. This was, this was not one of those you know, fancy black tie functions, if you've ever been to one of them before, where the, the waiters kind of come around with, with their tiny canapes. <laughs> it's like, really? Can I take them all? <laughs> and you know you're in trouble if you're one of these events with an empty stomach because you end up... You don't talk to the people, you don't really talk to the people that you're supposed to be talking with. You're, you're craning your neck looking for, you know, where the waiters are up to and where they've still got food on their tray. Or, <laughs> or maybe that's just me. But Jesus' wilderness banquet is not like one of those events. It's, it's not just a nibble. It's not a little tiny canopy. It's an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. You can keep going back. You can have as much as you want. And these guys did, we're told. They all ate and were satisfied. And why is that important? Well, it's important because with this mundane feeding miracle in the middle of nowhere, what we actually have is a taste of the kingdom from the shepherd king himself. Imagine being there, one of those people, getting to taste the kingdom from the shepherd king himself. What a privilege that would have been, right? It's a remarkable picture of the way that the absolute abundance of God brings absolute satisfaction to his people. It's a picture of, of the kingdom that is still yet to come, right? We're still waiting for it this very day. And it really was just a taste, it's worth saying. It was a taste because everyone who was there that day, who had the privilege of sharing in that meal, they would have gone home, they would have gone to bed, they would have woken up the next day hungry again, and they would have had to find their own breakfast See, God doesn't guarantee us absolute abundance and absolute satisfaction right now. He does promise us that the day is coming, doesn't he? And the 12 baskets of leftovers are really making that promise. On that day, when Christ finally returns and the wedding of the Lamb is in full swing, we will feast, won't we? That's what the Scriptures say. And we will be filled. God's absolute abundance will bring our absolute satisfaction. And what a day that will be. So friends, this is a word of hope for anyone here tonight who is running on empty. I know there are people here who are, for various reasons. Or for those who are fearing, you know, that they won't have enough for whatever reason. Like the food that Jesus brought forth that day, the God we worship is more than enough. He is more than enough. It's also a challenge for those of us, I reckon, who've been, who've been looking elsewhere to be filled. We do that, don't we? It's easy to do. 
Because the world is constantly trying to convince us that we need to be filled by it because it wants your money. <laughs> and we think we can find satisfaction ourselves on our own terms. But we can't. And we won't. And if you haven't learned that yet, then you will. Come back to the God who is more than enough. To the only one who can fill us and satisfy us. Absolutely. Because you see, what God has given in sending us his son, the shepherd king, to live and to die and to rise again so that we might be found, that is enough, isn't it? That is enough. And what God is giving us right now, his ongoing, sustaining grace, the food on our tables and the way that life just seems to happen, that's more than enough. So too this promise of what he will give is coming kingdom when we will never hunger nor thirst ever again, as it tells us in Revelation. Absolute abundance and our absolute satisfaction. On that day, it will certainly be more than enough. Friends, this is our God. And I can't think of a better way for us to finish reflecting on on tonight's message, then actually respond in thankfulness ourselves. You ready to do that with me? It's a little bit different, but that's okay. Before we close in prayer, I'm just going to give us space right now. Mike's at the back, at the front. Chuck your hand up. And I'd love to, for us just to share for a little bit what it is we're thankful for. They can be big, they can be small, they can be things you've been thankful for the whole week or just come to you right now. I'd love for us to actually just have a chance to share that with each other. I'm going to jot them down and then we'll pray for them as we close. Night Church, what are we thankful for? Two of you. Thanks for nine baptisms today. The baptism, amen. Um, well, sorry. It's going to be a bit long, but um, I was at Seaforth Baptist this morning because that was my old church, and we were actually doing this exact same thing pretty much, which is kind of, you know, nice. Um, And I was thinking that I'm so thankful for how God has helped me grow because I just started uni, and I remember starting like year seven and year five at a new school when it was absolutely terrifying. Like I could not talk to other people and I was so anxious and I was just thinking about this week about how I've like made a really good friend already and it's just so much easier for me to talk and I think that's a lot to do with God and how I've come into who I am in him. That's awesome. Thanks, Sophie. What else are we thankful for? Got one down the front. And we've got Heather. Hi, Nathan. I am really thankful that I am not afraid of Australia being invaded by some other country. I'm so grateful. Amen. It's on now. Um, I'm so thankful for life circumstances and changes that we can adapt to and that God gives us in our different life stages. So being able to move into a next chapter or whatever that looks like for us, God sustains us in that. Thanks, Pete.
couple more. Um, uh, I'm just thankful for the small moments, like just random conversations with strangers or friends um, that really make a massive difference, even if they're just for like five minutes or five seconds. Hmm. Um, yeah. I'm thankful for all my friends. Amen. Thanks for sharing. I'm thankful for the sun and to live in Manly and so close to the ocean. I think we forget how lucky we are. So I'm really thankful for that. Thanks a lot. Um, I'm really thankful for our new small groups this year and I know a lot went into them. So it's really cool kind of seeing the outworking of that get started. Okay, that's a pretty comprehensive list. I, I'd encourage you to actually keep sharing those things with each other after we finish the service tonight. I reckon that'd be a great way to continue responding. Uh, I'm going to pray over all these things as we finish. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word of scripture. Uh, that would be really familiar to lots of us, and yet um, tonight has drawn us to consider uh, all the things that you have given to us and continue to give to us and will give to us and uh, the thankfulness, Lord, that we, we respond with. We thank you for everyone who just shared for the baptisms we were able to celebrate together today over, for things like starting uni and the way that, that, that Soph was able to make friends quick and the way that she's been able to see kind of even just the growth in herself to be able to do that. We thank you for life stages, Lord, and the way that you sustain us through the change, even when the change can be hard. Thank you, Lord, for the small things, even just like conversations with friends, as simple as that might be. Um, we thank you, Lord, for our friends and the way that uh, you support and uphold and encourage us through them. Um, we thank you for things like the sun and for the, the, the blessing of being able to live in a place like this, Lord, that is just so beautiful um, and it has so much uh, for us to enjoy. Uh, and we thank you as well, Lord, for small groups and for the way that uh, you help to build community in this community and the way that um, small groups help us to do that. We, we pray, Lord, that you'd have your hand over those groups as, as people continue to make those connections and, uh, and build that trust. Father, we pray that we might be people uh, who are welling up with thankfulness, who really, our, our list of things that we're thankful for never runs out. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to cultivate hearts of thankfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.